Welcome to Courage in Healthcare, a podcast sponsored by Maxworth Consulting Group. I'm your host, Kyle Worthy. In this two-part episode, we're speaking with Dr. Arun Ivlaka, a pulmonologist based in Charlotte, North Carolina. In last week's episode, we learned about the challenges the Ivlakas faced when they left their home in India to make a life here in America. Dr. Ivlaka believes that these challenges prepared him to play a role that he was meant to play in the lives of others. His presence in America allowed him to lead his family through difficult times and pave the way for his daughter's success. Dr. Ilaka says that none of this would have been possible if he hadn't had the loving support of the Gill family. Today we'll learn how Dr. Ilaka was able to repay the Gill family's kindness and what he has learned from his experiences. So Dr. Ilaka, I understand that the Gill family experienced back-to-back medical emergencies in the early 90s. Can you tell us about those events? Yes, um, they were um, major events. Uh, So first, I think with Dr. Mrs. Gill, she had a progressively worsening kidney disease, which reached a point where a more definitive treatment was required, Mm -hmm. such as dialysis, such as transplant. Um, She obviously chose, and we all chose uh, to go uh, for transplant straight. So on St. Patrick's Day in 1992, she underwent a successful kidney transplant at Mayo Clinic, and the donor was her own older sister. Mm. So this was right after we had we had joined. She was in Rochester, Minnesota with us for two months, and then went back to active work in Shreveport. Um, and I, I would say that 27 St. Patrick's days later, the renal transplant is working very well. Oh. Now, uh, with Dr. Gill, the Gills, uh, as a family, were celebrating their 1993 Christmas holidays in Maui. Mm. Early morning of December 26, they all went to the top of the volcano mountain, Halekala, to see the sunrise. And so they were there about five in the morning, saw the sunrise, and then following that, they decided to join a bicycle group. So Dr. Gill, who was an avid bicycler, and his older daughter became a part of the bike riding group, with Dr. Gill being the rear guide. And Dr. And Mrs. Gill and their younger daughter decided not to, so they were right behind him in a jeep. Um, and the group started. About 30 minutes into the ride, they saw him suddenly fall off the bike like a log, with no forewarning, no efforts to save the fall, And there were no obvious uh, changes or defects or damages or bumps or boulders in that part of the road that could explain his fall. And nobody knows, including him, as to what happened at the time. We all believe it was a syncopal spell. And mind you, prior to this, he's been a very avid biker and has been biking for miles on an end on many days. So Dr. Mrs. Gill immediately got out of the Jeep and went running to him and found him lying face down, unconscious, and barely breathing. She turned him immediately and saw that his nose and his jaws and his teeth were all broken, and the face was sunken, with a lot of blood and debris obstructing his mouth and his airway. So as his breathing was affected, she could barely feel his breathing. She cleared and cleaned away all the clots and road and tissue debris from his mouth. And he started to breathe after that and woke up and said, hey, what happened? Uh, He was asking questions. The ambulance was radioed and uh, it came within five minutes. 
there was a neurosurgeon who also was a part of the bicycle group who then noted that Dr. Gill wasn't moving his legs. And he said to Mrs. Gill that I think this is state of spinal shock and it'll slowly recover. So the ambulance comes and they take him to Maui Hospital where basic testing and stabilization was performed, but they knew that this situation was way more serious than their capability, so they transferred him via helicopter to Queen's Trauma Center in Honolulu. There they did more testing, including CT scans, and that's when they diagnosed that he had a burst fracture of his fifth thoracic vertebra with instability of the spine and complete paralysis of his legs. He was at that time being closely watched in their ICU and was receiving high doses of IV steroids so as to decrease the swelling of the uh, spinal cord. But that's, that was all that was being done at the time. Um, within hours, that devastating news reached all over the world because family was spread all over the world. So Kiran got the phone call. And she called me, and I was moonlighting that weekend in one of the smaller towns in Minnesota. So I had to then leave immediately um, my shift and go back to Rochester and then immediately go to Honolulu. We were all in a state of shock that time because he was considered by our family to be unbreakable. Mm-hmm. And I myself didn't know what to expect and what measures to take. So I take the plane and I arrive in Honolulu and when I saw him, my heart shrank. His face was unrecognizable and his legs were not moving at all except for some motion of his little big toe. So we discussed the treatment plan with the surgeons there and they were not certain of the success of the spinal surgery if they did it at their place as it was a very complicated burst fracture with multiple bony fragments embedded in the cord. So I knew we had to take some major decisions and take them quick. Now, I was just a six-month fellow into my pulmonary fellowship, and I didn't know um, many of the senior consultants, uh, particularly in different departments, because I had been there just for about two years or so. And I called Dr. Peepgrass, the chief of neurosurgery at Mayo. And I told him who I was, and I told him about the whole precarious situation that we were in. He said, bring him to Mayo Clinic right now, and let's see what we can do. So we rented a Lear's jet, and Dr. And Mrs. Gill, a paramedic, and myself flew him to Rochester, stopping to refuel in San Diego, California. I remember we arrived at Rochester Airport around midnight, and Mayo Clinic's ambulance was right parked park right there. He was whisked away to St. Mary's Hospital. The surgeons came, examined him, and they found that he could wiggle his right big toe a little, so which they thought at that time was a hopeful sign, though they gave him a 5% chance only to walk again. His spinal neurosurgeon, who was very good in these surgeries, was to leave that morning for his long sabbatical leave, but Dr. Peepgrass requested him to delay his departure by one more day so that he could do that surgery. 
So he, together with the orthopedic spinal surgeon, very meticulously removed all the bony fragments embedded in the cord. They cleaned and cleared the cord. They took all the pressure off the cord. And then they stabilized the spine with rods and screws. They also immobilized his head and neck at the time with the metallic gear. The surgery took 18 hours to complete the job. And he was then transferred back to ICU where he slowly started to recover from this prolonged surgery. A week later, which now we are in the first week of 1994, a tracheostomy was done, and then his jaw was wired shut so that they could then do extensive maxillofacial surgery uh, and repair the various fractures and then create the bony part of the nose from the outer table of the skull and then place metals to stabilize the face. And subsequently, then they put dental implants. He was back in the ICU for two weeks. This time, he I remember, he developed the ICU psychosis, mm-hmm. and we could see him performing multiple imaginative surgeries, tying sutures, and making all motions of doing operations of all types. It was not easy to watch for all of us, um, mm. but finally he recovered mm. from that. <clears throat> he was transferred to the room and then gradually weaned off the tracheostomy. Next three months, he underwent rigorous physical therapy and occupational therapy. He had fortunately been a very driven exercise holic prior to this injury, running and bicycling and hiking for miles on an end, which gave him a very strong muscle mass, especially the legs, and I believe also a, a very strong ingrained muscle memory. So he pushed himself to the max during the supervised physical therapy and occupational therapy sessions, as well as when he would do, his, do them on his own. That probably, next to the surgery, I think, made the big difference in his recovery. That was one of the main uh, things that helped him. He surprised everyone with his recovery and attitude. And end April, so this is nearly four four months, being in Rochester, he left for Shreveport. When he reached Shreveport, he first started to walk a little on the crutches and later with canes and leg braces very slow walk. In July, he started to take surgical lectures for medical students. I remember one time he fell in the elevator and fractured his right patella. By the fall of 1994, he started to drive by himself. He gradually started to perform smaller surgeries first, like placing venous accesses, and then started to do carotids and vascular surgeries, and then to bigger thoracic surgeries, such as removal of the whole lung, pneumonectomies. He obviously had stopped performing all the cardiac surgeries at this time because he wouldn't be able to do those. Otherwise, prior to the accident, he was doing bypass surgeries, valve surgeries, aortic surgeries, cardiac transplants, etc. But those now, he couldn't. So he focused more on the vascular surgeries and the thoracic surgeries. He would operate at all the hospitals at that time, Louisiana State University Hospital, the VA Hospital, and the Willis-Knighton, the private hospital. A special contraption was made for him that 
would allow him to sit, stand, rest, lean on, steady himself so that he could operate for three, four hours at a time and do all those big procedures. He never could, he never called quits, never. In July 1995, they made him chief of thoracic and vascular surgery at the VA Medical Center in Shreveport. What did it mean to you to be able to help a man who's helped so many people, including yourself? Well, that's very interesting. Um, you don't want to be put in those positions, but as I feel, uh, there's a master plan for all of us, so I think I had to play this role. It was initially shocking, um, you know, very surreal, unbelievable, I mean, literally unthinkable um, and heartbreaking when the news came and when I saw him and then saw him go through the whole process because he was the rock of the family. Uh, he was strong as a bull. He was an exercise fanatic and ran and biked uh, bike, miles on a daily basis, mm-hmm. hiked all the time. He would sit by his patient's bedside after surgery, hours on an end. He would pray for them before and after surgery. So we all felt that he was um, a, a person who was unbreakable, who was, uh, who was exemplary and, and ultimate. And nothing ever could have and should have happened to him. And that's how we all thought, you know, not him. Mm -hmm. But then slowly the reality sunk in. He and Dr. and Mrs. Gill had done so much for me and for us three that I think can't be repaid this life. Maybe this was one time where I could pay back his deeds in a small way and play my role as a family member, as a doctor, as a human being, for an angel-like person who had helped several people come back from near death, irreparable and desperate situations so that they could live a life of purpose and uh, fulfillment. So I prayed hard every day and asked God to place the right and positive-minded people in our path who would do everything possible in their power to bring him back from what appeared to be a hopeless situation at the time. And I think that's what God did. Mm. He parted the sea in the middle for us. Every step of the way, he saw to it that angels came in our contact. He made the long flight uneventful. He took care of him through very arduous and unpredictable surgeries. He gave him insurmountable strength during the post-operative periods and the recovery and when he started physical therapy and occupational therapy. I believe that once he started his physical therapy and his occupational therapy with his still residual strong muscle mass and ingrained muscle memory, that he then just took over and with his insatiable appetite for rigorous exercise, he surprised all the surgeons, the nurses, the therapists and us with his ongoing physical recovery, even though it may appear small at the time. The surgeons told him that rarely anyone recovers from such a devastating injury, but you are the one who has done the impossible, that is walk, drive, work, and give back to the patients and family and the society. I strongly believe God had, and he still has a plan for him, for Dr. Gill. He's not done yet, I think. I'm glad that I got the strength, the wisdom, and support from everyone, especially God, Kiran, family, friends, 
physicians, colleagues, to be able to play a small role in my own way to make a positive difference in his and their family's life. I am so glad I could help. I'm glad I could deliver what God had planned for me to do. How have the Gills shown perseverance in the aftermath of these events? Um, let's go first to Dr. And Mrs. Gill. Mm-hmm. After the kidney transplant, she was doing very well. So everything was going okay, but unfortunately, more setbacks were yet to come. In January of 2007, she needed a laparoscopic cholecystectomy with ERCP sphincterotomy and draining of the biliary sludge, and all this was done at Shreveport, Louisiana. Three months after the surgery, she started to have recurring fevers of uncertain cause. And by August, finally, the diagnosis was made of recurring ascending cholangitis, and that now explained the fevers. Since that time, she has been on daily oral antibiotic prophylaxis. Now, as some of the liver cysts communicated with her biliary system, those cysts started to get infected. Mm -hmm. They were subsequently drained as well as sclerosed. But the cholangitis kept recurring to a point where finally we had to get her back to Mayo Clinic and she underwent a partial resection of the left lobe of the liver where a lot of those cysts were in September 2014. Mm. So we were hoping that that would help make a big difference. The recurring ascending cholangitis with associated sepsis syndrome has continued. Mm. And she has been admitted to the hospital in Shreveport on multiple occasions and then discharged on home IV antibiotics. Mm. She's fortunate sometimes that the episodes respond to the treatment with high-dose oral antibiotics at home, and she doesn't have to be admitted. And all this is happening despite the partial resection of the left lobe of the liver as well as daily antibiotic prophylaxis. The only solution would be a liver transplant, but she's not an optimal candidate for obvious reasons at this time. Mm. But... Despite all this, she stays very cheerful, very positive, involved in daily household affairs, checking on all of us, helping us with our problems, going to teach the pediatric residents in the continuity clinic as a gratis faculty. She retired in 2015. Entertaining her friends at home, traveling when possible, throwing a gala engagement party for Natasha and Roger, attending their wedding, donating her time, money, energy, assistance, love to all of us whenever she comes in touch with us, either in person or in phone. So she's an amazing person despite her infections, hospitalizations, um, all these setbacks, multiple medications and other associated complications. She is focused on uh, other people's lives. Mm. So that was uh, on, on Mrs. Gill. And uh, with Dr. Gill, since uh, he was made the chief of thoracic and vascular surgery at VA Hospital in July 1995, he has continued to operate with the help of that uh, special contraption, which I said. 
he has taught and mentored several surgery residents and medical students. He has aided many aspiring candidates to get into various training programs at LSU Shreveport and elsewhere. He has helped innumerable friends, family members, colleagues, even strangers, and touched their lives in many different ways. He leads, I think, by example, never takes any help. You have to force him to use a scooter for longer distance. He will drive himself and he'll surprise you and show up at the airport to pick you up. He exercises rigorously on a regular basis and he will outdo you in physical endurance. He still remains the pillar of this family that all look up to and wish to emulate. Since his accident and recovery, several newspaper articles have been published on his amazing life and journey and he was honored at the National American Heart Association for his heroics and exemplary attributes. He finally retired in November 2018 after giving 23 years of service to the VA Medical Center and is now a volunteer gratis faculty, works one to two days a week, running the outpatient vascular and thoracic surgery clinic and covering other surgeons whenever needed. I understand that your daughter is now a physician. What has it been like to watch her as she carries on the family tradition of practicing medicine? I you know, feel so blessed and fortunate to have a daughter like her who was one of the most important or probably the reason for me to stay on in USA and help me to let go of my fears, all my inhibitions and all my comfort zone, my uncertainties, my inertia, my double-mindedness, so that she could get ample opportunities of fulfilling her dreams and excel in her field in a country where anything and everything is possible, where you can dream big and make it into reality, where nothing is ever impossible. So I think the image of her as that little girl with my stethoscope dangling around her neck, waving me goodbye from the patio, above had a lasting impact on me. I still remember that scene to this day. Mm. Every parent, I think, wants to give the best of everything they have to their children so they can achieve it all and do better than them in every aspect. And I think it's more true, even if, especially if it's an immigrant parent, as you sacrifice everything so that your children can make the most of this great country, even if you as a parent may not. And I think that's what U.S. is all about. It's a country of immigrants. And children of the immigrants have risen to the highest levels in this country. So we are very satisfied and happy now when we see her continue to excel in her life and her field and keep climbing the ladder of uh, success. Medicine is what she wanted, and I think medicine is what she got. Okay. Yeah, it didn't come easy for her. She had to strive for it and she had to give it all that she had. We are uh, very happy to see her get married to Roger, who just started practice in urology in Charlotte. And I think once Natasha finishes her uh, GI fellowship at Atrium Health in Charlotte, they can both then decide what's best for their future. We obviously wish both of them best of luck to continue to do well in their respective fields and contribute to the society in a major way for years to come. Um, Natasha makes us proud. She's our connection to the future. And I think our life is coming a full circle. 
Um, I am glad I decided to stay back in USA and not go back. And Natasha definitely helped me do that. Well, Dr. Adlaka, thank you for being with us here today. Before we say goodbye, can you tell us what you hope others will take away from your family story? I think there are a lot of takeaways uh, from this story. And just like every family has, mm-hmm. has a story to tell from which you can get so many takeaways. Um, I think the three big ones are, the first one will be, what do you have to go through in the U.S. when you come as an immigrant, especially when you come at a later and established stage in life? Mm. The biggest sacrifice was leaving your family behind. Mm. It's a very difficult thing to do. And it, you, you, you just have that feeling, am I going to see them again? Uh, the distance... Uh, is so long and and then you feel guilty that you're not with your parents when they are needing you the most so all those things I think made that leaving the family behind issue as one of the main uh, sacrifices that one has to do second would be that I personally believe and some may or may not that we all as human beings are a part of a big plan and our lives are tied together And all the sacrifices you make and the challenges you face make sense once you start to see the big picture the master has created for you. Because then all those sacrifices and challenges that I have gone through starts to fit the picture. Now I realize as I have grown older and look back at my life, why on so many occasions our plans fail, misfire, or do not fire at all because they do not fit the bigger plan. They're not supposed to happen. They're not a part of the bigger plan. Because remember, everything that happens is for a reason, but I think what does not happen is for even a better reason. So I think every few years, it's good to look back at your life and connect the dots to realize your master plan, and it'll start to change you and your outlook, I think, for the better, about yourself and about others. It happened to me once I started to see the Almighty in my rearview mirror, and that's when the path I had traveled thus far started to light up and started to make complete sense to me. I think the sooner we can all understand the master plan laid out for us, realize fully that we are not at all in control of that plan, we will then probably quit chasing unnecessary and meaningless goals. We will, I think, not be self-focused and or overly focused on money and power. We will help others in need at all times. We will live in harmony and we will be at peace with ourselves and the world around us. And the third main one would be perseverance Mm. during the life-altering setbacks never calling it quits and living life to the fullest and giving back at all times attitude. What Dr. and Dr. Mrs. Gill have shown all of us is exemplary. They have taught all of us that irrespective of the gravity of the setbacks in life, medical disasters, or the curveballs that life throws at us, you never give up. You fight back hard. Life and living is a blessing. Live every day to the fullest. You never quit living. And their life is 
for life, their, their love for life obviously is obvious. Mm. They are thankful for every day and their life is going on as per their own master plans. There are just a few other things that I wanted to share which can probably be, uh, be, be seen through our families' uh, lives or probably can be seen uh, just by living life. And that is, I believe, life is an echo. It's, I call it a karma boomerang. It's a mirror. Therefore, if you do good, good will come back to you. You do bad, unfortunately, many times bad comes back to you. Kiran's dad was a living saint, and I was fortunate uh, to meet him and, and see him and, and uh, get a lot of his advice. His DNA is present in all of them. That's why it's an extremely loving and caring family, and that is why I have seen good and goodness always coming back to them. The Gales have always helped everyone at all times and done so much for us, family, friends, and students, residents, colleagues, and even strangers. And what surprises me is they continue to do it despite their own major setbacks. They are living lives for others. Thus, goodness keeps coming back to them. So it's our honor and good fortune to be able to play a small part in their lives in time of their need. Hopefully, someone will do the same for us. Lastly, coming from India, um, and Indian culture being very old, from ancient times, the culture has believed that we are all born as a human after several births that we take as various animals and creatures and insects. Um, and after we leave this earth, the whole cycle repeats itself. So I think we should make the most of our good fortune to be born as a human so that you, we can execute the master plan that has been assigned to us much more positively, responsibly, intelligently than our previous non-human lives. And I think we should all try to leave behind a small legacy so that way our work can outlive us. Mm -hmm. And I would repeat what Albert Einstein once said, only a life lived for others is a life worth living. Thank you for listening to this episode of Courage in Healthcare. We'd like to thank Dr. Adlaka for sharing his story and inspiring us all to live a life in the service of others. If you have a story to tell and would like to share it with us, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, I'm Kyle Worthy with Maxworth Consulting Group.